Well, good evening everyone. On this Sunday, the 20th of September 2020, we're going to turn to God's Word as we draw very close to the end of Ephesians and Ephesians chapter 6. There's just this evening and then one other sermon on Ephesians that finishes off our series that we've done throughout lockdown. This is your life, this is our life together. We're going to read from Ephesians chapter 6 and from verses 18 to 20. And I think these are some of the most significant words in the whole of Paul's letter. And we will do well to listen and learn from them together tonight. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might declare it fearlessly as I should. <clears throat> with these words in mind, and with this task ahead of us tonight, let's pray as we consider prayer. Father, prayer is a gift that we've been given. It's a grace that you have bestowed upon us. It is something that you want us to use. In fact, O oh God, it is the oil, the dynamic, the fire even, that enables us to keep going in communicating with our Father in heaven. Father, we may put on the full armour, but without prayer, we're lost. So teach us to pray as we consider your word on prayer tonight. In Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> I've lost count of the number of TV dramas I have watched where the plot line has revolved around an undercover mission that has come unstuck as lines of communication with the ops room NHQ have broken down. You can all picture the scene. You know, there's the team all seated with their cameras and their screens in front of them. And they're watching the operation as it unfolds. And then all of a sudden the screens go fuzzy. There's nothing but static coming through in the earpiece. And the radio signal is lost. You've seen that kind of drama. And the drama escalates because... Those in the front line are left with no one to direct them who see the bigger picture that lies ahead of them. No one to direct their next move, where to turn, where the enemy's coming, find themselves all on their own confronting the foe. And the music escalates and the plight of the soldier or the undercover officer is revealed all alone. All alone. They might have all the right equipment the best protective clothing, a firearm if needed. But without proper lines of communication, without knowledge of someone back at base, guiding their step, leading them through such a delicate operation, they are in deep trouble. And the Apostle Paul would agree. We can put on the gospel armour, all of it. But without lines of communication, from our commanding officer, we will face the enemy and we will do so all alone. That's why Paul gives these verses at this section over to 
prayer. Communicating with our commander, speaking regularly with him is absolutely essential because every day we enter the battlefield. For those of you who are a bit rusty when it comes to English grammar and language, we would expect these verbs to be, uh, you know, imperatives, things that you're to, to do, commands, pray, that's an order. But no, these words relating to prayer are what we call participles, which means in the Greek and in English, we're to keep on praying. It's an ongoing thing. Participles are ongoing activities that just never give up, never live up. And that is emphasised throughout this short passage with the description halfway through verse 18. With this in mind, be alert. In other words, always be sure, looking around, ready for the opportunity. Don't switch the walkie-talkie to mute. Never turn it off. Don't give up speaking with our Heavenly Father. He's not an officer commanding us to pray more. Do you hear that? Not to pray more. But as part of the Lord's army, he is expecting us to keep praying, communicating with the captain of our salvation in every circumstance in which we find ourselves. Because prayer isn't part of the armour of God, but it is the activity that keeps us in the battle. Without it, we're useless soldiers, clueless and aimless and directionless. And whilst all of us struggle with prayer, that is a given. Christians are to persist in prayer, knowing that with the help of God's Holy Spirit to assist us in our communication, verse 18, pray in the Spirit, isn't some weird kind of Stephen King, you know, third dimension out there kind of prayer. It's every kind of prayer. Because if we are in Christ, which Christians are, and Christ lives in us, which happens whenever we come to him in faith, we have this incredibly intimate relationship with God himself, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Ephesians 3 verse 16 has reminded us already that we will be strengthened with power through his spirit in our inner beings. Ephesians 5 18, we can be filled with the spirit. Explained further for us by Paul in Romans chapter 8 verse 26, in the same way the spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with wordless groans. You see, praying in the Spirit is living life day by day with God, in God, for God. The Holy Spirit communicates God to us and through him we receive gifts, insight and are empowered to know what to pray. For if the spirit, as it were, of the controller, the commander, is at work within us, we will know which steps to take as we fight our enemy. And even when we don't know what or how to express it in our weakness or in our wondering or confusion, the Holy Spirit takes this confusion and our mumblings and he intercedes in he steps up and he speaks for us. So the expectation is not just that the individual soldiers pray alone, but that the whole army prays as one. For the tone of this text is rooted in that togetherness in battle. We're thinking about it this morning as we thought about the, the shield of faith. We gather our shields together and cover each other in front and behind. And the Holy Spirit, because he's at work within me and within you as a believer, Paul is addressing the whole church and every Christian. He's saying all of this 
is for all of us. So if we here at home tonight as believers are watching this, whether teenager or pensioner, elder or new member, a visitor or an inquirer or someone in between, prayer is God's gift to us. God's divine walkie-talkie handed to us to enable us to communicate with HQ. To enable us to speak to the command centre, to the one who sees everything so clearly across the screen. Prayer is for us here on earth so that we might speak to our Father who is in heaven. And how should we be praying? Well, a few things we're going to move fairly quickly through tonight. Through a series of alls. Alls. A-L-L-S. Verse 18, first of all. First thing, praying on all occasions. Praying on all occasions. This is a reminder to pray consistently and perseveringly. And it's pretty comprehensive, isn't it? Prayer is not just to be a seasonal activity. We are not just to have a go at prayer for a while. It is not something to be picked up at times of particular battle and then set down when everything's quiet. We need to keep alert. There is nothing occasional. A, a Christian's life is marked by praying. Those who recognise that they are in the battlefield, there's a war on for our souls. Needing the reminder of the evil one, and this is serious, the evil wants to wreck your life. He wants to bring you to hell. The evil wants to wreck your family life and destroy the relationship there. He wants to steal the souls of your children or your parents and your work colleagues and your friends. He wants to ruin it and ruin them. And when we remind ourselves that it's that stark and the battle is real for the eternity, for the everlasting soul that we have and those that we love, then we need to become a praying people. That is where the battle, in a sense, is won and lost. That will cause us to pray. For when we stop praying or give up meeting together for prayer, it is either a signal that the war is over and the devil and sin are no longer a problem for us, which is arrogance or utter folly, <clears throat> or that we have forgotten the battle and resorted to a civilian life and don't much care about our children, our community, our church, our people, our struggles, and in that sense, then the devil is delighted. He, he's already won. <clears throat> is it any wonder prayer is difficult? And we find multiple reasons and excuses not to come to prayer meetings. Because it's a battle. And the minute we decide we're going to stay at home, the devil's won. The minute we decide to watch TV instead of take a few moments to remember someone in prayer, the devil's delighted. He trembles. Though when he sees us on our knees. He gets worried when he sees Christians gather together for prayer. Because so much is at stake. Now Paul is not asking us every five minutes to stop work, set down tools, disrupt the day and announce a prayer time for anyone who wants to join in. Not at all. But he does want us to live in a continual attitude of prayer. There are so many good examples of this throughout the Bible. Think of Nehemiah for a moment. Do you remember Nehemiah in the middle of the Old Testament there? You know, he's ended up living in a, in a foreign land. He's, he's originally from Jerusalem. Uh, the, the people back there are in all sorts of trouble. He's received news that the walls have been broken down. And he knows in his heart of hearts that he wants to get back. But he's a very important job. He's cut bare to the king. He wants to serve the king well. Uh, and he doesn't know what to do except for pray. 
The bad news he's received about Jerusalem has led him to pray consistently as he goes about his work, as he mixes the king's drinks, as he drinks the king's drinks to make sure they haven't been poisoned before he hands it on to the king on the silver platter. He's praying, praying, praying all the time. Lord, what would you have me do about Jerusalem? I would long to go back. When, when could that be? How might that look? And it was on one moment, on one particular day, as he served the king, the king asked him, and what's troubling you? And what can I do for you? And we read there in Nehemiah 2 verse 4. The king said to me, what is it you want? And I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. Mustn't have been much of a prayer, we think. The king asks, Nehemiah prays. It must have been an arrow prayer as we call it. And then he answers the king. And so many of us do that day to day. And let me encourage you to do it more in the ordinary things in life as you stand washing the dishes at the sink, as you drive to work. Look, don't close your eyes, of course, when you're praying, but you, you can pray as you drive, as you walk the dog, or as you jog around the neighbourhood, or out cutting the grass, or on your knees weeping, or sitting on your bedside calling. The battle goes on daily, constantly, and it requires us as God's people to be perseveringly, consistently in prayer. Some of you will be well acquainted with the name T.S. Mooney, who was a bank manager of great renown and a bachelor all of his life, and he lived in Londonderry. But more importantly, he was a Christian influence on several generations of young men who grew up through his Crusaders Boys Sunday afternoon Bible class. He loved those boys in the Lord. He was committed to them between three o'clock and four o'clock. Yes, as he met with them on a Sunday. But he kept in touch with them throughout the rest of their lives, his life. He wrote to them when they left for university or moved to Belfast or somewhere else for a job. He drew them into leadership. He discipled hundreds of men for Christian leadership. And that resonates even in our congregations of Union Road and La Comfort, even today. <clears throat> Do you know, when he was found dead... He was found wearing his familiar tweed suit with his hunched little body and his little bald head over his bedside. And underneath him, laid across the bed, were his multiple prayer lists. In fact, lists and lists of countless boys and ministers and missionaries and friends. As he said to so many, I remember you daily in the best place. T.S. Moody influenced hundreds of young men. The Crusader Boys Bible class that I went to every Sunday afternoon in Knock was led by two guys who were ministered to and prayed for by T.S. Moody. They led the class with an unflinching and ever focus on the Lord Jesus and the importance of prayer. To the extent that those group of leaders continue to meet every Monday night in life to pray for us, the boys in their class. So that whenever we were converted and we stepped into leadership, continued to pray every Monday night in one of the leaders' homes for the boys in our class. Those boys who were in the class I taught in as a young student are now leading the class in Knock and they meet 
every Monday night for prayer for the boys in their class. Always asking, always seeking, always knocking. Prayer makes a tremendous difference to the believer and to the next generation when we do it consistently. Bringing everything to God in prayer. Secondly, praying all kinds of prayers and requests. You know, I think we've almost all but forgotten that there are various prayers that we can pray. We can get so much into the cycle of simply asking for and apologising about. And we forget the pattern of prayer that our Lord Jesus left us in the Lord's Prayer. When was the last time we prayed like that for his holiness and his greatness first? And then seeking our request second before seeking help to build his kingdom here on earth through our little lives. We have forgotten that helpful little acronym, ACTS, A-C-T-S, Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, Supplication. Which song was it that brought the blind singer, songwriter and pianist Stevie Wonder to attention all those years ago? Was it not, I just called to say, I love you? How often do we carve out time in our day to stop and simply say to our God, I love you, I love you, I adore you, you're marvellous and majestic, you're greater than any thought I've had today, you're, you, you, you've amazed us once again with the new day, the sunlight, we adore you. As good Presbyterians, how often have we glorified God? And enjoyed him forever. Just calling to say, Lord, I love you. And not only is there adoration, there's also confession. You know, Martin Luther opened the Reformation in the 1600s by nailing the 95 Theses to the door of Wittenberg Cathedral. I know some of you are learning about that in school at the moment. But the very first of those 95 Theses, which he railed against the, the Roman Catholic Church, was our Lord and Master Jesus Christ will the entire life of believers to be one of repentance every day coming confessing our sin saying Lord I'm sorry I have broken your law once again please forgive me and you know the, the, the more we see our sins the more precious and electrifying and amazing God's grace appears to us and on the other hand the more aware we become of God's grace and acceptance to us in Christ the more we're able to drop our self-defenses and admit the true dimensions of our sin the two go hand in hand whenever we ask God to show us our sin and we confess our sin and we list our sin and we bring our sins to him we become all the more aware of how wonderful how sacrificial how deadly those sins were that nailed our Lord Jesus to the cross which leads us then to greater thanksgiving doesn't it thank you my father for giving us your son and leaving your spirit with us till the work on earth is done a thankfulness you know what do the words of that song say it's rooted in the scripture i will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart i will enter his courts with praise i will i must i have to for who else has given us so much we almost need to sit our souls down each day and say i must give thanks to my savior i must give thanks to my father for what kind of God has given all this to me? Who am I to deserve all of this? 
And then, of course, there's the supplication, that pleading with God for others that we'll think about more in just a moment. His treasure chest never runs out. His equipment store is forever stocked. His armory is always secure. Our God will supply all of our needs in Christ Jesus. But do we ask him to? There are all sorts of prayers that we pray. And maybe we need to stop and ask, how have our prayers been? How do our prayers sound? What kind of prayers have I been praying recently? Is there variety or is it monotony? Are we stuck on repeat or have our hearts been expanded by God and his word with the help of his spirit? Praying all the time. Praying all sorts of prayers. And thirdly, praying for all sorts of people. This would be so much easier if it said, pray sometimes with some prayers for some people. But the all challenges were to pray for all the Lord's people, we're told in these verses. God's people, <clears throat> Christ's people, the church, his army, the fellow soldiers in the battle. Why? Because just as I am in the war zone every day, so you are in the war zone every day. And so is she. And so are they. And our battlefields might look very different. And the temptations and the enemies coming at us in different ways from different angles. His strategies against you might be different from how he targets me. But he knows where we're weak. And he knows where we're vulnerable. And that is why we need to pray Christ's righteousness and protection and salvation and assurance and truth into each of our hearts for all of God's people every day. Because the name and reputation of not just this army and not just our church, but of our Saviour is at stake. Let's pray the gospel armour on and over one another through our Union Road and La Comfort prayer list for the missionaries we support, the elders who lead us, the ministers who preach for us. Of course it's most natural to pray for those whom we love and care for most. Those who we've got more of a natural affinity. Those who we usually sat with or serve with on organisations or mission teams or had some connection with in the past. But I am to pray for all of my Christian brothers and sisters. Even those who look different from us. Those who aren't interested in the same things I'm interested in. Those who are at a different stage in life. Why? Because it's for his glory and reputation and the protection and honour of his name in our world. That is why we should never take pride or be smug about the fall of any Christian from grace. Why? Well, first of all, it damages Christ's name and reputation. And secondly, was he or she on your prayer list before they fail? You see, Unbelievers, by and large, out there see Christians and prayer as like the believer going to the ATM, the cash machine. Stick in the right code, say the right words, and the withdrawal comes, the right amount comes out. You know, come to God, use the magic formula, and he'll give you what you need. And sadly, many Christians have given out the idea to the rest of the world that that is what prayer is all about. Gimme, gimme, gimme. When in fact, prayer is our lifeline, our walkie-talkie that calls upon our gracious God to save us, protect us, surround us. 
No soldier in this kind of battle prays for himself. Rather, it is the success and defence of one for the good of the all. Let me ask all of us, how comprehensive is your prayer list? Does it start and end with people who just we like? Does it take in the whole body of believers in our fellowships whom Christ has loved? Who's in your prayer list? Do you have a prayer list? And finally, we need to be in prayer for all who share the gospel. Let's read verses 19 and 20 together again. Pray also for me, writes Paul, that whenever I speak, words may be given me so I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might declare fearlessly as I should. We need to be in prayer for all who share the gospel. Paul was not ashamed to ask for prayer. Paul was reliant on God's people praying for him. Read all of Paul's letters and they all, he always asked for prayer for himself and the believers in other places as well as for themselves. And here we read that Paul asked for prayer. And even though he is chained to a guard 24-7 with a Roman soldier towards the end of his life, isolated from society, under house arrest, that he would lose none of his boldness in what he says and how he says it. Now, some of you might have seen when visiting in some of those major capital cities of the world that when you turn a corner, you can suddenly be confronted by a street that's draped with flag after flag after flag, hanging outside these beautiful buildings. And, you know, it almost looks like a, a street that signals the start of the Olympics as you spot the Spanish flag and the Japanese flag and the Norwegian flag and then the stars and stripes of America and so on. In most of those cases, when you've turned that corner and see that row of flags in any of our capital cities, you have stumbled upon Embassy Row, where the ambassadors of each of those foreign nations have a full staff living in a foreign country in order to represent the interests of that country in that other nation in order to speak on behalf of their government. And Paul may well have seen something similar around Rome and the empire, where the interests of all the little smaller provinces were represented by ambassadors. The ambassadors usually known for their flags or their emblems. Each of the city-states and each of the provinces of Rome would have had their own emblem, just like badges and uh, and counties and, uh, and towns have their own little markers and badges today. Jealous for their country, fighting for their rights on a foreign field. But look at how Paul describes himself. What is Paul's emblem of state, of the kingdom that he represents? What's his flag denoting whom he stands with and for? Verse 20, the ambassador in chains. Paul represents a king who is mighty in suffering. A prince denoted for his belittlement. A ruler renowned for his harsh treatment and persecution. In the highest political centre of his day, in Rome, Paul is there under arrest, in chains, for Jesus, representing Jesus, looking like Jesus. And to each guard he meets, and to every official who crosses his path and comes to deal with his case, Paul delivers Jesus to them. Paul represents 
the kingdom of God. And he asked that he would do so firmly and frankly and clearly. That he would be open and bold in declaring Jesus. And Paul doesn't ask for prayer. Pray that I would be released. Pray that I would receive comfort. But he asks, pray that I would have words to speak. A continual message to bring. And in our lives there may be things that we would love to see change. New circumstances that would make such a difference. Maybe some of us long for nicer colleagues at work. A bigger house to feel more comfortable in. More settled children who are just maybe unsettled and a bit disturbed at the moment for whatever reason. A larger budget to play with. A brighter outlook with all that's gone on with COVID. Maybe Paul is urging all of us to use the very places that we see are imprisoning us. Our situation, our circumstances, our families, our work. To be the very places where God wants the gospel to be proclaimed. The place and these people around us aren't problems to escape, but sinners who need ministered to. What a revolutionary thought. Praying for one another that whatever might seem like our chains would be the very gospel chance we get. That very awkwardness that we feel might be the opportunity that we've been given. One commentator put it like this. Paul is seated in his cell, handcuffed to a soldier, but he is no less seated to the heavenly places in Christ. He is down in the dungeon, but he is up in the glories. All the alls. Be praying all the time. Be praying all sorts of prayers. Be praying for all sorts of people. As we seek, all of us, to be ambassadors for him. He's there in heaven. With all his screens surrounding him as, he, as it were. Knowing what is going on and knowing what is going on with you and where. And he is guiding us and directing us through his word and by prayer. But the moment we stop praying and speaking and communicating with him. The wire goes down and we quit talking and we stop listening. We are left standing vulnerable on the field of battle all alone and ripe for the enemy. Is it any wonder that so many of us feel down or weak or isolated or spiritually limp at the moment? Lying in the battlefield, sensing defeat. Whilst all the while our Saviour is reminding us, come to me, speak to me, renew communication with me, pour out your hearts to me. Look at the equipment, the power, the strength I can give you. I can arm you for the battle. Maybe for some of us, it's time we got stuck in and lifted out of such a rut. And we need to get back praying, praying hard, praying often, praying passionately, praying faithfully, praying together corporately. Because for survival on the battlefield, prayer is absolutely necessary all of the time for all of God's people.